There was, some of y'all will mock me for this, back in the day, a series of comedy sketches that my dad alerted me to, uh, where in the comedy sketch, there would be an individual who is tempted by something. And long story short, you'd get to the end of the sketch, they'd give in to the temptation, and then the reasoning behind it was, the devil made me do it. Some of y'all be familiar with those sketches, and some of you, like, if you're in my camp, will go, that's great. I'm glad Dad thought to give me that example. No, we have that, that, that joke. Well, we, we face temptation, we give in to temptation, and then there's, there's that goofy answer of, well, you know, the devil made me do it. It wasn't, it wasn't really me. The devil made me do it. Now, while I'll be honest, in, in my reference in ministry, I have never heard someone seriously throw that out uh, in that exact way. I have heard the inverse, which is, well, God made me this way, so why is this a temptation? If God knew this would be a temptation, why would he make me this way? Or if God knew this would be tempting in this situation, why, why, why would he do this? It's God's fault that I'm experiencing the temptation. It's, it's God's fault. If God is sovereign, if he made me, if he tries me, then, then why, am, why am I being faced with this issue of temptation? And, and as we've been walking through James, we've already seen in a, in a very heavy way the idea of trial has been mentioned. And that word in the Greek, we've said that, has, has two different sides to it. One side is that of trial where the genuineness, the purity, the authenticity of something is put under the test in order to purify it and strengthen it. The other side of that word is the idea of temptation, that, that, there, is, that there is an attempt to entice, to lure, to get someone to acknowledge and give in and do what is wrong. And where we come to in James today is where all of a sudden we begin to make that flip. So I invite you, if you will, open in your Bibles with me to James chapter 1, verse 13. If you're using a pew Bible, and we encourage you, if you're either distracted by your phone or don't have a Bible or forgot your Bible, use one of those pew Bibles. It's page 1071. Page 1071 will get you to James 1 verse 13. Now look with me, we're going to read through it, and then we're going to do our best to then walk through the various truths and realities that it shows us, and then we'll apply it at the end. So look with me. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, each individual is tempted when they are carried away and enticed by their own lust or their own desire, their own passion. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, brought to completion, it births, it brings forth death. So here's what James says, having just said, blessed is the one who perseveres, who endures, who bears up through the trial and, and is found approved. All of a sudden he says, uh, when, when one is being tempted, and, and there's some debate, is it when one is being tempted or is it when one is under trial? And the reality is you, you can pick either way, but it's going to come the same. You and I face situations where we are tempted, where we are being uh, lured and wooed and, and sought and tried to 
brought to do evil. At the same time, there are times with trials, certain trials that you and I may face that while the trial itself is intended to strengthen and purify our faith, the crisis of circumstance it brings us to brings with it opportunity for temptation. You can imagine that for those early believers. God, we've given up everything to follow you. Jesus, we've said you're the Christ. And now we're facing an an economic inability to put food on the plate. And all of a sudden, here comes the temptation. Well, maybe Jesus isn't really the great provider. And what do you do with that? It says, the one who is undergoing, it presents the reality of temptation. When, When the one who is undergoing temptation, and church family understand what it says here, it doesn't say, if one is undergoing temptation. It says, let the one who's undergoing temptation. The reality in our lives is this, and we need to understand this. This is the reality of temptation. If you are a human being living in this world, you are going to face temptation. You're going to face temptation. And in fact, elsewhere in Scripture, not only will it say that, that we are going to face temptation, but it will say that every temptation we possibly face is common. It's normal. Even when we think, oh my goodness, this temptation towards this thing, I can't imagine. It, it means no matter how great a temptation you've ever faced, it, it, it's normal. You're not the only one who's faced it. I'm not the only one who's faced it. It, it, it says strikingly that it is normal. It's normal to be tempted. No temptation will touch you that's uncommon to man. You're not the only person who's ever known a certain temptation. And, and if we want to go past this, understand all throughout Scripture, we find righteous men like Job, who Satan is allowed to afflict in order to tempt him to turn his back on God. We find Peter and the disciples held up uh, to temptation. We find the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus himself, was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Temptation is the norm for even our Savior, then you and I will not break. This is the reality of temptation. But the reality of temptation is going to bring out two things. It's going to bring out the danger of blame, which is why we must understand the character of God. Look back. Let let no one say when he is tempted, or literally in the Greek, when, when one is undergoing temptation, they must not say, I am being tempted by God. So we'll come back to this in a moment. You see the danger of the blame. I'm, I'm experiencing temptation, and the clear command here is, don't blame God for the temptation that you are experiencing, that you are hearing, that you are feeling. It's not God's fault. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment, but we need to see why. Because he, he provides a, a powerful statement of the character of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. Literally, for God is untemptable, is what the language. He is without temptation. And it's the idea that God can neither be tempted and enticed by evil, nor does God use evil to tempt and entice someone else. This is a powerful statement of the character of God. In church family, it's a truth that we have to lock away. God cannot be influenced by evil. He does not succumb to evil. He does not use evil directly. He is not the maker or encourager of evil. God does not cause bad things to happen, but God does use bad things we do 
and transforms them to His glory. We've seen this. We looked at Habakkuk uh, earlier this summer, Habakkuk chapter 1. That's part of Habakkuk's wrestle is, God, you're, you're going to use, you're going to allow the Babylonians to rise up and, and use them as a means of your discipline, but you're one whose eyes are too pure to look on evil, meaning that the very character and nature of God, God does not author, invent, desire, approve of anything that is sinful, wicked, evil, on down the line, whatever term you want to use. And we need to be clear about that today because, one, there are theological movements, both in Orthodox and unorthodox Christianity, that try to ascribe evil to God. And then on the other hand, you and I are going to face the same struggles we've looked at with Habakkuk where we're going to go, God, I get your word tells me that you're not the author of evil, but I also see you working in in the midst of this, and how do I process this? So we need to be clear, God is untemptable. And this sets God apart in major ways. Think of the pagan gods. Let's take the Greek gods. What are the Greek gods known for? They're known for how petty they are. They're known for being subject to temptation themselves. They're known for tempting others. Our God is not like those gods. He does not succumb to those temptations. Our God does not tempt and and toy with the people under His care. He's not like those gods. He's unique. God is also If maybe Greek gods is, that's a little far-fetched, Pastor, then maybe put it this way. God is not like what a politician is. And before you laugh, understand I'm not even trying to be funny here. Here's what I mean. Part of the name of the game in politics is what? Compromise. I want this. You want this. I have more leverage, so we're going to get 80% of this, but i got to give you 20% of this. Our God does not compromise with evil. Our God says sin is evil, and our God put all sin to death through Christ on the cross, and we'll come back on that. So we need to understand this is the character of God. And because this is the character of God, then we need to be aware that when we face temptation, there is a danger to blame. There's a danger to blame, and this is the the primary command of the passage is this. As you face temptation, do not blame God. God is not the source of the temptation. When when that temptation comes upon you and it starts enticing you and it starts wooing you to give in to something sinful, God is not the one dangling that fishing line in front of us. Now, we do know from Scripture, and we'll see more about the nature of temptation in a second, we do know that God is in complete control and even, even the enemy has to get permission to dangle that line. We see that in Job. Satan didn't have just free reign to do what he wanted to Job. God had to allow him, but God is not the one doing it. We must not blame God. And by the way, understand the precedent. You go all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. You go back there, the enemy tempts Adam and Eve. He gets them to doubt and question the Word of God. Adam and Eve give in. They eat the fruit that God said not to eat. And what is the first thing? When God confronts them, what do they do? They blame So understand, there's a connection. When we're tempted and when temptation leads us to sin, there is a desire to blame, but we are not to blame God. God is not the one bringing the temptation. And I see this a lot, especially when there is something within us that is tempted by a hot topic sin issue. We don't often blame God for other sins that aren't hot topics. Oh my goodness, God, you're responsible for my desire in this moment to gossip. 
Because most of us don't think gossip is that bad, even though Scripture calls it sin. Oh my goodness, Lord, right now, why, why, are, you, why are you tempting me to, be, to, to, to eat gluttonously? Now what we do, though, typically we see the blame with God when something is a hot topic issue. Well, God, you made me this way, and if I have this desire to be attracted to someone sexually in this way or to, to engage in sexual practices outside of your bounds, which are one biological male and one biological female in the covenant of marriage exclusively, Amen. then God, it, why would you do this to me? And the Scripture is saying, do not blame God when you are tempted. Because God cannot be tempted and God does not tempt even more than oil and water not mixing, so the God who is holy, holy, holy does not mix with sin. We are not to blame God. By the way, though the command is specifically not to blame God, we read the whole passage. Did you notice what else is not in there? We're not to blame Satan either. The devil made me do it. No. No. And we'll see more of this in a moment. You can't blame the devil because the devil cannot make, especially a child of God washed in the blood of Christ, the devil cannot make us do anything. He has no power over us. And even beyond that, you want to say, well, what about for those who are lost? Well, they certainly are held captive and enslaved to sin, and they don't have much option. But here's what else is interesting. If you go through Scripture and you look at those who are possessed by demons... You'll find those possessed by demons doing things with superhuman strength. You'll find self-harm and destructive actions. But you never see those possessed by demons engaging in sexual immorality or murder or gossip or disobedient to parents. Or here's the reality, and this brings us to the nature of temptation. We can't blame God and we can't blame the enemy because the one to blame for temptation is ourselves. Look back with me. Now we see if we've seen if we've seen the reality of temptation, if we've seen the character of God, if we've seen the danger of blame, then now we see the nature, the true nature of temptation. Each one, each individual is tempted when when they are brought out, when they are carried away, when they are drawn out and lured, enticed by their own. Now my Bible translates it lust. But that can get confusing in English because we've associated lust just simply with something sexual in the mind. The idea is that it's, it's passion. Each one has desire, passion. It's a Greek word, epithumia, and it, and it can mean something as simple as just a strong, passionate desire, which is neutral in terms of good or it could be good, could be bad. Majority of times in the New Testament, it's referring to some kind of a strong and passionate desire for something that I shouldn't desire. And that is most, most, uh, most likely, strongly, that is what James is, is pulling out here, especially as you go through the rest of the book and see the other things that he will uh, address as, as we do that in the days and weeks to come. It says that you and I, each, each one an individual, not significant. Because what it says is that not one of us is alike. When each one, when each individual, the reality is every one of us in this room are made uniquely and distinctly in the image of God. We are born by nature sinners in a broken world, and we are unique and different. We have different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. Not only do we have differences in, in how we are wired, we also have lived through different circumstances and different experiences that, that 
play alongside how we're wired to create other things. See, here's the reality. There are things that will tempt me that won't tempt you. There are things that will tempt you that won't tempt you, and there are things that will tempt you that won't tempt me. And it doesn't make any one of us better than another based on what is tempting and what is not tempting. All it means is we're different. And each one of us with a different wiring, with a different background, with different hurts, with different pains, with different ways, each one of us in those ways are tempted when the passions that are within us and it uses hunting and fishing language, draw us out of the safety of the cave and dangle the bait that shimmers and shines and says it will satisfy this desire in front of us, that's when we're tempted. Now, here's the reality, church family. When you come, you say, well, well pastor, I'm a believer. What do you mean uh, bad desires within? Here, here's the reality. When, when when a man or woman comes to faith in Christ and is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the old man of sin, the, the dead man according to Scripture, the old man is crucified with Christ and no longer living, dead, gone. The old has gone, the new has come. We are given a new nature, a regenerate nature. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are declared holy. But even though I am new, I'm still living in a broken body, in a broken world. And my broken body, which has thoughts and emotions, is subject to and able to be tempted in this world. Now, as a believer, there's a difference. My, my temptation, I have the ability to say no to because I have been freed from sin in a way that those without Christ have no ability to. But because I am both experiencing the already aspect of my salvation, but the not yet, we are in the process of sanctification. God is taking that righteousness and working it out in our lives. He is exposing weaknesses in our faith. He is exposing. He is moving. And, and part of what that means is there will be, as a believer, times we have desires that are out of line, that are inordinate, that are inappropriate, and those desires are going to be the main source of where temptation meets us. Now, I'll also give you this. There's another way temptation can meet desire, though it's not the primary focus of James. You and I can have desires which are totally fine. And temp temptation can come and offer a satisfaction to this desire, which is just not good or bad. It just is what it is. But the solution that temptation offers is wrong. That's also a way that temptation can play and, and, speak, into, and speak into our desires. We see that temptation here is deceptive. Do you notice the language when he is lured? Think back Genesis 3 and Matthew, even Matthew 4. I won't have us turn there, but think back there. What is the first thing that the enemy says to Eve? Did God really say? And then he quotes partial what God says, but changes part of it. How does Satan tempt God himself? Jesus. How does he tempt Jesus? He quotes Scripture, but misapplies it. 
You see, that's the nature of temptation. Temptation is deceptive. Temptation posts up a billboard on the side of the road that's flashy, that looks good, that seems to promise life and abundance. It seems to promise something that satisfies. Temptation throws it up, and when all of a sudden your, our desire sees that, and that's when the process of temptation is taking place. It throws something up, but it's deceptive, as we'll see in a moment, because temptation only has one destiny, and it's death. It's deceptive. It knows our weaknesses, our, our mindset. It knows how to promise things, how to entice, how to lure. It is specific. Because we have different wiring, different things, here's the reality. Not only that, but all of us have past sins. And temptation will appeal to the memories of those past sins, the memories of how those sins felt. And by the way, let's just be clear, church family, there's a lot of sin that feels good to the body. You're really hacked off at the person who cuts you off and you're able to cut them off and force them somewhere. It feels good. Doesn't mean it is good. You're really hacked off and uh, you're in the locker room and you're hacked off. Some guy, you know, you hear about fights in training camp for football. I guarantee you those guys feel good. Doesn't mean it is good. So sin can feel good. Temptation can, can call out. I mean, it wouldn't be tempting if there wasn't something that felt good about it. If it was like, wow, so you're telling me you're going to promise me a bunch of pain, suffering, and death? That's, that wouldn't be very tempting. It's pretty easy to say no to that. It's specific. It's going to appeal to bruises, to, to past memories of sin. Where does it come from? Well, here we see clearly that temptation can arise from our own desires. There's an internal aspect of temptation. We also know there's an external. We have a real enemy who, when he shows up, he appears as an angel of light, deception, in reality, is the father of lies and the one who comes to still kill and destroy. There's both an internal aspect and an external aspect with, with Satan. Not only that, but as we look at the nature of temptation, we need to understand how is temptation different than trial? Well, the idea of a trial is not to tempt you and I to do something wrong. The idea of a trial is just to, to put our faith to the test. Think of a trial as a workout. But a trial can certainly open the door as it not only exposes the impurities in our faith, it may even expose the impurities in our desires. And a trial can certainly open a door where we experience temptation, where we experience temptation to doubt the character of God, where we experience temptation to go against the ways of God. But here's also a key thing we need to see about the nature of temptation, church family. Notice what it says. Each one is tempted when they are drawn out, when they are lured by their own passion. Then when passion has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, here's a key truth we need to understand, church family. To be tempted is not to sin. Temptation and sin are two different things. To be tempted is not to sin. In fact, we see throughout Scripture that, that you can actually be led by God to a place where you may experience temptation, not temptation from God, but temptation from the enemy, temptation that exposes impure desires. It, it may be of, of different kinds and ways, but it's not a sin to feel or hear or see temptation. It's a sin 
for your desire, for my desire, to respond to temptation and embrace, and in that embrace, act out in sin. That's what sin is. And when you do, if you were to do a study all throughout Scripture of sin, here's the distinction. If, if temptation is something calling, alluring, trying to get us to sin, sin is always action. Which is why when you read about God's judgment on sinners, He judges sinners according to their deeds. Because sin is action. And just for clarification, so when I say sin is action, I don't just mean external action. That's part of what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount completely flips. He says, oh, you're walking around saying that you're not guilty of, a, of adultery because you've never externally committed adultery. But in your heart, you've lusted after a million different women. You are guilty of adultery. Action can be internal or external. But temptation itself is not sin. Which means the mark of maturity in a believer is not getting to a point where nothing ever tempts you, but being at a point where no matter what tempts you, you in the power of Christ say no. And that's huge because there are many who run around in the faith. There are many of us who go, oh my goodness, I am being hit with this temptation. I am being hit with this temptation. What's wrong with me? And then here's what the enemy will do as you attempt to not give in to the temptation. He'll start heaping condemnation on you. You're such a terrible Christian. How on earth could you, you see all that. How are, and we need to understand, church family, you can experience temptation and not sin. And the fact that you're experiencing temptation is because you're human. Not only are you human, but likely you're experiencing temptation because you are, if you're in Christ, a child of God. And the enemy wants to do whatever he can to get you to, to not experience the fullness of everything you have being a child of God. Not only that, but if the enemy can entice you, if, if all of a sudden there are desires that are exposed into sin... When you and I give in to sin, there's massive ramifications. But we can be freed from the condemnation. We may face temptation as we seek God. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where the enemy came against Jesus and tempted Him. You and I may be led, we may be following God honestly and wholeheartedly and then all of a sudden encounter temptation. And that temptation, what it may do is expose, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this is tempting, and instead of being afraid or ashamed or this and that, what we have freedom to do is go, Lord, there is clearly a desire here for this. Let me acknowledge it before you. Let me own. Let me take responsibility that this temptation has exposed something in my heart that is weak. We can also put ourselves in situations where we're tempted. If you've got somebody who knows they struggle with, well, let's, let's just pick. I, I worked with students for a lot. So here, you know, what's typically I mean, the issue that I'm dealing with with students? I'm dealing with some kind of a lust sexual issue. Well, if some guy knows they're really struggling with lust, then to go to the school swim party where people are scantily clad is not going to help with the temptation to lust. So we can certainly put ourselves in situations where the temptation will ratchet up. And that's why we've got to walk not as unwise, but wise. We've got to ask for wisdom to know where to go, where not to go. 
So I want to be clear, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's just a reality of human. I remember, and let me give you an example of this, why this is important. I remember Bethany and I, we got married, went on our honeymoon, came back, and I had to take a Hebrew midterm in seminary. I would recommend not getting married in the middle of uh, Hebrew class. <laughs> nothing to do with the sermon today. It's not even Hebrew, it's Greek. So, But just there you go. And I remember coming back, and all of a sudden, in the, in the weeks after, see here, I'm married to my bride. We're so excited. I'm madly in love. And then all of a sudden, every time I go to the gym, it's like the temptation to lust comes in stronger than I've ever felt it before. And I'm going, what is going on? And, of course, the first thing that I start doing is, well, gosh, what am I doing wrong? What's terrible? What's happening? What's off with me? What's, and, I, and then all of a sudden, these, all these condemning, and it went on for about a week or two, and finally in there, I, it, it, the Lord helped bring some clarity. You know why the temptation ratcheted up? Because I'm looking at my life, I'm going, I'm not watching things I shouldn't, I'm not looking at things I shouldn't, I'm not reading things I shouldn't. Like, where is this coming from? One, there is no sin that any of us are above committing. And we'll see later on in James where he says, resist the devil, right? And he says, God gives grace to the humble, but refuses the proud. There should all mark our lives a humility that recognize none of us are above having a weakness to anything. But here's what the Lord reminded me of there. Why would I not be facing stronger temptation? Because now that I'm married, if that temptation can hit a weakness in my life and even for a moment I falter, the fallout of that is even more wrecking on more lives and more people for the kingdom. And every time I have, and it's not always, I, I use there the example of lust. It can be other things. It has been other things. Every time in my life I have noticed the circle of spiritual leadership extend in my life, the amount and frequency and intensity of temptation has always ramped up. And if you and I aren't aware that you can be tempted and it's not sin, you are going to just crater in condemnation. So we've got to be aware of the nature of temptation. We've also got to be aware the destiny of temptation. We see it right there that when, when, this, when there's this desire that's enticed by the temptation and those things meet together, desire and temptation meet together, it produces sinful action. Whether it's in the thought, whether it's externally, it produces sinful action. And when sin is accomplished, when sin is, is continually allowed to lay its course, it brings out death. Now, we need to be clear, church family, because the nature of temptation is it's going to appeal. It's going to be that glossy billboard on the side of the road that says, oh, you need a, a nice clean bathroom and a nice warm snack for your 10-hour road trip. We're the place to stop. It's going to promise something good, but it only leads to death. If you and I are going to stand against temptation, we're going to have to be clear where it leads because all of a sudden, if I, can, if I can peek behind the curtain and realize the great and mighty Oz isn't the great and mighty Oz, but a little man on a bicycle, then I realize temptation is not what it promises. 
And let me put it maybe a different way. This, this week I was looking on Instagram and saw a, a, a guy that I went to college with, their family. Uh, they have uh, two living kids, and they had a, a third that was born right around the time as Jesse um, with some major conditions. And several months ago, uh, their daughter passed away. And, and they posted this thing about, and many of us were praying, and I just, they posted this sweet video, and you, you see her sweet, and she's got oxygen tubes and this and that, and just when I see things like that, there is an intensity of anger that wells up in my heart where I go, I hate death. I am so tired of death. I'm tired of turning on the news. I'm tired of seeing death rain and, and hit and hurt. I'm tired of death. I hate death. Maybe you can identify well, church family, if we hate death like that, transfer it to sin and temptation because every temptation that calls you to any sin always leads to death. And if we hate death that much, then it should lead us to hate sin that much. And if we hate sin that much, it'll do a whole lot more to aid in how we respond to temptation because the outcome of temptation is to produce sin. And sin does what it only does, which is take life and bring death. There's five realities we've unpacked today. We've seen the reality of temptation. We're going to be tempted. We see the, the danger of blame. We're going to be tempted to blame God, to blame others, to not take responsibility. We've seen the character of God, that He's above and beyond sin. We've seen the, the nature of temptation, that it's specific, that it's deceptive, that it's not sin, but it calls us to sin. We've seen the, the destiny of temptation, that it leads to death. So what are we to do? Well, real simply here, four simple things. Four simple things, two from the passage, two from the rest of Scripture. Obviously, rather than blame, we need to own our own desires that are weak to sin. Church family, if there is something, the primary point in the text is not to blame God, which means this, if I'm not to blame God because I understand who God is and the nature of what temptation is, then what I need to do is if there is something that is continually tempting to me, I need to be willing to go, is there some kind of desire in me that I have not owned up, that I have not acknowledged, whether it's a weakness of how I'm wired, or maybe it was the actions of sinful people in my life that produced this, and all of a sudden, the reason, the reason that I am, that I am Tempted to give in and yield to worry is because I need to own the fact that I am God, I am, I'm prone to worry. And I, and I need your grace and your strength to, to address this and transform this. I'm owning it before you. It is the reason that I can sometimes be sharp with other people because there is a desire for control in my life because, man, back here these things occurred and all of a sudden this is what it's led to. We need to be willing not to blame God but rather than blame God, look at the temptation we face and say, is there something, Lord, that is revealing a desire in my life that I need to own and confess to you and allow your process of healing and sanctification to touch. We need to do that. Rather than listen to the condemnation, we need to heed the truth. I'm facing temptation. All of a sudden, the condemnation, you sorry, lousy believer. How unbelievably terrible, how unbelievably terrible that you're feeling that temptation. That temptation has even exposed this weak desire in your heart. What a terrible, God wouldn't want anything. That is called condemnation, and that is what the enemy loves to do. On one side of the road, it'll be the advertisement for sin, and then over the radio, it'll be the condemnation for the advertisement. But rather than give in and heed that condemnation, instead, we've seen the truth. You and I can be tempted, and the temptation is not sin. And not only that, but, but rather than listening to condemnation, but heeding the truth, 
We need to also not despair, but know his hope amid the temptation. Now, I'm, I'm going to do this real fast as we end. There's two passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. By the way, if you're in the Pew Bible, it's page 1017. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you. No temptation has, has come upon you, but such that is common to man. There is no temptation that we will ever face that is not normal for any other human being. No matter how strong, no matter how intense, you feel that temptation towards whatever the sin issue is in your life, whether it's something sexual, whether it's something in terms of pride, whether it's something in terms of hatred, whether it's something in terms of greed, whatever that temptation is, you are not facing a temptation that no one else has ever faced before you. And God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so you will be able to endure it. Do you hear what that says? There is hope in the midst of temptation. Rather than despairing, there is hope. Why is there hope? Because God is faithful. You and I will never face a temptation that is truly unique to us, and no one's ever faced it. Not only that, but it says there in the passage that God will not allow you and I he doesn't tempt us, but he is sovereign over the temptation we face, and he will not allow us to be tempted by something that we lack the ability to say no to. Now catch that for a minute. That means in the intensity of that moment when you're by yourself or you're in a crowd, when you're by yourself and the temptation comes to pull up that page on the internet and it's hitting hard, or when you're in the crowd and everybody's uh, uh, cursing up a storm and gossiping about this person in the office and you want to fit in and, and that temptation is hitting hard and you go, oh my goodness, I can feel it. It's whispering. It's everywhere. Scripture says God is faithful. And that temptation, if you feel it, it means God who knows all things looks down and knows that because of his power in you, you possess the ability to say no to that temptation. You possess the ability. We can say no. We possess the ability. It says that not only will he not allow us to be tempted when we are able, but we may be able to escape. There's a way of escape, a way to say no. But catch this, church family, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, I think sometimes we get mixed up because as we seek to stand against temptation, as we seek to stand against temptation, we go, all right, I'm thinking about the truth. I'm saying no to the temptation, and we just think instantly it should eliminate it. But it doesn't say a way out to eliminate the temptation, a way out to endure. There are going to be times you and I say no to temptation. There are going to be times we reckon ourselves upon the truth of God's Word by the power of the Spirit, abiding in Christ, and we're going to say no to temptation. And we're going to continue to hear the temptation. Not because we did anything wrong, but because we're in a real spiritual battle where the enemy hurls fiery darts. And if you've ever seen a battle with darts and arrows, you don't shoot one arrow. You shoot a sky full of arrows, which means you and I dig our feet in in the gospel of peace and we get behind that shield of faith and we hide and bunker down in the truth of who God is and the truth that God is faithful and we will not be tempted beyond what we are able. And we may hear those temptations litter like raindrops on our shield. But the way out is that we would be able to endure it, that we can face temptation over and over and over. Satan, you can shoot the arrow as many times as you want because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can say no and I will rest in him. Which leads to the last thing. If this tells us that, then Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says this. 
And here's the ultimate hope, church family. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Jesus is fully God, but when he came to earth, he also took on complete and total humanity. He is now fully God and fully man. And Philippians, we looked at that earlier in the year. Philippians tells us that he never ceased being God, but when he took on human flesh, that he did not rely upon his divinity for anything. So simple point is this. He's in the carpenter's shop and he cuts his arm. He doesn't look to see if no one's looking and then heals it as God. He lets it bleed and stitches it up the same as the rest of us. And as a man, he experienced every, notice that, I won't experience every temptation there is to experience because some things just aren't tempting to me. Same with you. It says Jesus experienced every temptation. Everything, every way that someone could be tempted, Jesus was tempted yet without sin, yet as a man reliant on the power of the Spirit and submission to the Father, setting the example for us, He is without sin. And some of us, because we're tempted and we know the things we've fallen into in the past, go, oh, he's without sin. Mm, that makes me nervous. No, listen what it says. It should not cause us to be nervous. Look what it says. Therefore, because of this truth, let us draw near. Literally, let us run into the throne room with boldness and confidence. Let us run in the middle of the throne room to, to our Father who is the King. Let us climb straight up into his lap and say, Father, I need help. It says, with boldness and confidence, let us draw near to Christ that we may receive grace and mercy in time of need. You see, we serve a God who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, and it delights His heart to give what we don't deserve and we can't earn in the middle of our affliction to strengthen us, to enable us to say no to temptation. Which means, church family, in the face of temptation, we can own our own desires, we can stand against, we can resist, we can flee, and we can live in freedom and victory because of who He is and what He's done. Rather than fall, we can stand against temptation, but it's pivotal we understand this truth. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Every one of us in this room face temptations. Lord, it's hard to even come up with examples because the examples are endless that could be given. Lord, and the temptations don't come from you, but your word also tells us that you, you won't let us be tempted beyond what, there's, what you're confident of you in us can withstand. That there's a way of escape, there's a way to, to say no, so, Lord, may we, in the face of temptation, God, may we not heed to condemnation. May we own, if there's desires that are, that are being allured to, may we own that. May we confess that. May we respond to that. Lord, may we heed your truth. May we know your grace and mercy. And, Father, may we live as a holy and freed and victorious people. Jesus, your will be done in this time of response. It's in your name we pray. Amen.